Can you imagine being the 12? I don't know if you've ever... It would have to be the opposite of the way Ian uh, took me uh, telling him it was his time to play. I was the baseball coach at, at a high school, and one of my favorite student, one of my favorite kids on the team. I was his youth pastor uh, at church, and and I just thought the world of him. And uh, you know, how do we say this? Baseball was not his passion, so not a lot of playing time. And I remember looking down the bench one time and going, "Hey, Ian, you want to get out there and play?" And he goes, "No, <laughs> not really." <laughs> I wonder if there's some of us who would be sitting there and if Jesus called us and said, hey, I have a mission for you. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to get in the game? You ready to put some skin on the line? Ready to go do some stuff? We'd go, no, no, I, I like the bench. I like practice. I like learning. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about getting out in there. But if you're one of these 12 apostles, how exciting would this have been? I mean, let's put ourselves there. The disciples have left home. They've seen some amazing things. They've even experienced a little bit of conflict. And now it is time to get out there. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, I want you to go be on mission? And the feeling of like, but Jesus, aren't you coming with us? You want us to just go on our own? What if something happens? What do I do? This passage brings up some pretty important questions too, doesn't it? Like, is there an economic requirement in ministry? Like, would they have not have been effective with two tunics? You know, that second jacket, you just, you can't serve Jesus with two jackets. Is that what's going on here? Who is called to what? Right? Like there were a lot of disciples, but only 12 of them are called to this particular mission. Is that still true today? Or some of us just not particularly called to anything. Did Jesus give all his disciples authority and power or just some? Like, do we have similar power and authority? Like, should we all have, uh, you know, the gift of healing that we go from town to town? That's a question. You, you, it comes up when you read this passage, right? We should talk about it. I think this is one of those examples where we shouldn't copy and paste Jesus' words to our lives. We, Jesus had, had a particular mission for those 12 people. And so it would be pretty easy to go, well, look, let's put this in its context Let's, let's talk about how special the apostles are. Let's, um, you know, talk about Jesus just talking to those guys then. And we might miss that there are some observations that we can catch along the way where we can say we do have some similarities here. We can apply this to our lives. This applies to me. It doesn't mean that there isn't anything for us here. No, we might not be on the same specific mission trip that these 12 are on. Anybody been on a mission trip? If you've been on a mission trip, you recognize this as the pre-trip meeting, right? Here's the rules. Here's where I want you to go. Here's the tools. Now go. We're not on that same specific mission trip, but look, we are absolutely on the same kingdom mission as those disciples. And it would be wrong for us to go, well, you know, it's going to work exactly like this. I have to take a vow of poverty and have the gift of healing in order to do mission. It would also be absolutely wrong to say, because that doesn't apply to me, I'm not on mission. I would like to put a burr under your saddle a little bit today. I would like for us to look at this and not just go, wow, wasn't Jesus amazing? 
I would like for us all to deeply understand one very true thing, and that is this. To be a follower of Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. There's no one without the other. There's no bench to sit on. Even as we uh, articulate our specific kind of mission statement around here. Do you remember how it starts? Starts two words, starts with, it rhymes with uh, be loved. Yeah. So, and we want, and that's, it's so important to us because the kingdom of God does not start with get to work. It does not start with our earning. It does not start with what have you done for Jesus? No, rather it starts with just receiving the incredible love of God. And yet what's the next part of the mission statement? Be loved and worship. And worship is not just what we do here when I grab a guitar. No, worship is an everyday life expression response to the love of Jesus. There's no being loved by Jesus and not communicating that love to the world. There is no receiving without going. There is no being called without being sent. And we might have misused the word call over the years to mean something that happens to very few people in a profound moment that results in some great work that you could write a book about later. Uh, one of the things that I, I feel young people it, that are Christians struggle with most is, what would God call me to? Well, I'll try to answer that as we go, but let me start with this. It's not nothing. God has not called you to the ministry of judgment <laughs> or the ministry of sitting around. God, to be called by Jesus is to be sent by Jesus. To be a follower of his is to be on mission. So we look at this very first mission. This is the first time Jesus ever sent somebody to do anything. Isn't that exciting? And we, I hope even if we aren't given specific, and this is exactly what it's going to look in your life in every case, I hope that this engenders in us a passion. Jesus, would you please send me to? Would you make it clear what my part is in the kingdom? I mean, for us to even have this conversation, we're going to have to assume that a couple things are true that I very much believe are true, and that is that there's no following Jesus without a call. And also that every task is different. While we are called, we are all called to different tasks. That's the way the body of Christ works. Your gift is not more or less important than their gift, and their gift is as necessary as yours, but the, the, that's how bodies work. Are you with me? But when a whole body suffers, it's because some of its parts are not doing their job, not functioning in the mission that they were given to. So let's make some observations as we go in this story. The first observation from Luke 9 would just be that these 12 men had been chosen for this mission. Luke 9.1 says that he called the 12 together. When you see that word, the 12, we've talked about this before, but especially in Luke, but in all of the Gospels, there's like the crowds and then there's the disciples, which is men and women from all kinds of places following Jesus. And then a subset of the disciples is the 12. These are the people that Jesus has called specifically for this specific kind of mission. In Luke 6, um, we read that Jesus spent all night in prayer before he called these guys. 
that this was something that they were specifically chosen for after. I mean, can you imagine? Do we believe that Jesus is omniscient? Do we believe that Jesus is all-knowing? Do we believe that Jesus is the wisest person that ever lived? Yeah, okay, good. That scared me for a minute. Yeah. And yet still, he wanted such deep connection with the Father that he is fasting and praying all night before he calls these people to this particular role, to, to be called apostles. Mark 3 gives us um, the same story with uh, uh, another detail or two. Mark 3, 13 through 15 says, and he went up on the mountain, this is talking about Jesus, and called to him um, those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed the 12 whom he also called apostles so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Again, it is Jesus that does the calling. It is Jesus in connection with the Father who does the calling, and it is the disciples who do the responding. And this job description is amazing. Did you hear the job description? This is the job description for everyone that Jesus would send. The job description was he called them to him so that they would be with him. And that he could send them out to preach, to proclaim the good news. You know, I'm mindful that Jesus did not call everybody to this particular mission. He tells other people to do other things. Other, this job isn't the only job in his kingdom, but we have to make a couple of, of clear observations. The first is that mission or ministry begins, starts, not with a call to work, but with a call to be with Jesus. Do you want to do things in the kingdom? Do you want to do great things for God? How many, you know, books and podcasts and whatever be like, don't you want to do great things for God? How do you do great things for God? It starts with being with Jesus. It does not start with get to work. It starts with be loved. There is no mission that does not begin with cultivating a deep and loving relationship with Jesus. I wonder if you're in a position, and I know many are at many different stages of life where you would say, but what does God have for me in this stage? What could I do? I feel so limited. I used to do things that aren't available to me anymore, or there's things that I would really love to do that, but I just don't feel like I have that in me. In this stage of life, the things that I'd be really excited about are not there. Maybe I'm not very good at the things that would really fire me up. Well, it begins with cultivating a depth of relationship with Jesus. It began not with he called them so he could send them, but he called them so they could be with him. And then they would be sent. So if you're wondering what God has for you, begin with spending as much time with him as you possibly can. And I'm all for filling needs in the church and the world. And, you know, I'm in a position where I see, all I see is needs, right? Oh, we got so many holes to fill, just sign up for whatever you want. I promise we have a need in that area. But not just in the local church, but in, in all of society, in every place that Jesus would send you. I'm all for filling needs, but that's never where it starts. It starts with cultivating a depth of relationship with Jesus. Call flows out of relationship with Jesus. Mission flows out of a relationship with Jesus. Ministry flows out of a relationship with Jesus. You get as close to Jesus as you possibly can and see if he doesn't lead you to good works. The other observation we can just see from their choosing is that mission or ministry 
is all about being sent. You know, we are always the servants. We are never the CEO. We are never the father. We are never the head of the house. We are always the servants. It's Jesus who does the calling. It's Jesus who does the sending. To be a believer is to be chosen for ministry. We have defined ministry in just such a narrow way where it's either somebody that gets paid to do it or somebody that, you know, teaches Sunday school all the time or whatever. And in that narrow kind of definition of ministry, you might look and go, not everybody's called to it. I don't have the personality for it. I don't like being up front. I don't, whatever it might be, but it's too narrow. To be called is to be sent. To have a relationship with Jesus is to be his servant. The question is not, might someday God call me to ministry? If God's called you to himself, he's called you to be a servant. The second thing we might note is that not only were these people trained for this mission, but or were, not only were they chosen for this mission, but they were trained and empowered for the task. It, it says Jesus called the 12 to him and then gave them power and authority. And trained and empowered are both vital to our, to, to our fulfilling our call. And I think that this order is very important. Call comes before training. Are you with me? We do not think that the right thing is to train people and then see where you're called. The thing is you are called by God to be about the ministry of reconciliation in the world. So after you receive that call, after you have a relationship with Jesus and go, oh, to be a follower of Jesus means to be sent into the world. It's just part of my DNA now. I'm supposed to be in ministry. Then the next thing we do is say, okay, well, then I need to be trained. But we do not go looking at seminaries to people who might someday experience a call. Rather, we say, if you love Jesus and he is yours and you are his, then you have a call to ministry. Training comes next. You think about these lives of the disciples. Where were they when they experienced the call? Is this their call to ministry? No, they were fishing. They were being tax collectors. They were going about their normal day, and Jesus said, come follow me. That's the call. And it began with being trained, with following Jesus. They left homes. They, they had, and not only had they like left their homes, but think about where they had been with Jesus. They had been on boats when the sea was calmed. They had seen healings. Jesus isn't going to send them out to do something he hasn't showed them how to do. They had seen Jesus heal people. They had seen demons cast out. You know, as they go to teach, do you think that they knew what Jesus would have said as he taught in villages? Do you think they had the material from the Sermon on the Mount pretty well in hand? How many times had they heard Jesus say, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit? How many times had they heard Jesus say, hey, I know you've heard that you should not murder, but I say you shouldn't even belittle somebody. How many times had they seen Jesus love people and heal people? How many times had they heard Jesus say, hey, if you seek first the kingdom of God and a right relationship with him, all this will be added to you. How many times had they heard him say, don't worry about the future. God is your provider. He clothes the flowers. He provides for the birds. He can take care of you. They had heard this over and over and over as they were traveling from town to town with Jesus. And here's the, the, the big idea is once you realize that you are called to ministry, you are called to serve, you are called to be sent by Jesus, well, then you take seriously your training. 
And you say, I don't want to just go out with the gospel of Grant. I just don't want to go out with Grant's soapbox and these are the things Grant cares about and these are the things I think are wrong in society and this is how I think we should change it. No, rather, I want to be about being trained in the gospel so that what comes out of my mouth are the things that would have come out of Jesus. How many times did they sat and watched people respond? Heard the tone in Jesus' voice, seen how, saw how he carried himself. I'll say it this way. Once you understand that what it means to be a Christian is to be in ministry, you start to take the idea that you need training seriously. Then you're not reading your Bible daily so uh, you, know, you can check off the box and God's not mad at you because you did your devotions. But rather, you say, no, I need to be trained in the words of Jesus. You seek out discipling relationships. You find somebody a little further down the path and go, hey, once a month, can I meet with you and just ask you questions? Not because um, you know, you're trying to avoid sin even or whatever, but because you go, I need to be trained. I need to know how to be a dad. I need to know how to be a businessman. I need to, I need to know how to be in ministry right where I am. You take the idea of being trained in the gospel seriously. Man, I'm going to ask you here in a minute, but are you, are, do you have this sense that you are in ministry? And then what are you doing to be trained? Who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? But not only were they trained, they were also gifted. So training is like, these are skills you can learn. You can take a class and, and have some training and, and some skills that are necessary for ministry. But that's not all these guys are given. They were not only discipled by Jesus, but they were given these spiritual gifts. It says that God gave them power and authority to heal and cast out demons. That'd be awesome. I want that. That sounds good. These were gifts that they had seen at work before. But unlike training as a disciple, which includes skills, these spiritual gifts are something that can't be learned or earned. These men are just given gifts. They have power and authority over demons, and, but it's not, it's not firsthand power and authority. No demon ever bows down at an apostle and says, what have you to do with me, son of the Most High? But rather, this again speaks to the authority of Jesus, that his authority is so complete over everything in heaven and earth that he can delegate it, grant it, give it as he wills. And spiritual gifts work the same in our lives. They are from God. They're not from us. And they're vital for every aspect of fulfilling our mission. Now, I would love it if God gave each of us the gift of healing and casting out demons. That'd be quite a, that'd be quite a show. We'd have, Sunday mornings would be a lot of fun. But God has given you the spiritual gifts that you need to fulfill your mission. Not only is he willing and able to train you and has put people around you that you might be trained, but he is able and has and will spiritually gift you with everything you need to fulfill your call. Man, we could turn to Romans 12, and in fact, in a minute we might. We could turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We could look at lists of spiritual gifts, and we could say some of these spiritual gifts seem kind of 
exciting. And some of these spiritual gifts seem a lot like cleaning up after church, and these are all spiritual gifts. But the gift is never the point. The message is always the point. Jesus sent these people out with a message to be authenticated by these gifts. The message you and I send or go with is the same. We are all gifted for all kinds of mission. The question is not, I guess this is the point I'm trying to make. The question is not, what is my, you know, what is my spiritual gift and how can people come to me for it? Rather, the, the question is, as I go on mission, do I trust that God will give me what I need? That God will give me the gifts I need to do what he's asked me to do. And you know, we're a, we're a church that you might get the impression there's not a, not a lot of sign gifts in our church on a regular basis, and I don't, I don't preach about the spiritual gifts all that much, and you might get the impression at a church like us, you know, we're not, we don't, if, every once in a while I try starting uh, some claps during the songs, and then I very realize, very quickly realize that we are not a, able to clap on two and four kind of church. Uh, it's frustrating. I think you should work on it, but, um, but let me be very clear. We do nothing around here that we do not rely on the Holy Spirit 100% for. Every bit of ministry that gets done around here, we are relying on the gifts of the Holy Spirit to allow us to be effective in ministry. So while the exact mission trip is different, God, Jesus isn't looking at us and go, saying, walk around the Sea of Galilee and cast out demons. He's calling us to be with him and then to be sent. And he's training us. And some of us like being trained, but we don't like to go. We love the reading a good book. We love listening to a good podcast. We love having a good meeting. We love coming to a good Bible study. But then we're, we're, we think that it stops there. No, but rather, he is sending us, you. And where he sends you, he will gift you. Third, not only were they chosen, not only were they trained and, and empowered, but they went with the familiar message and practical help. Um, I've, I said a minute ago, this message was a message that they had heard a bunch of times. And I think it's a good idea to remind you that in your mission, in ministry for you, you are not sent to tell people what you do not know. You're sent to tell people what you do know. It's your testimony. It's what drew you to Jesus. It's how you can help. I think we are. Can you imagine if Jesus said, I want you to go and be just like me? Well, how much training does that take? How many years do you have to do? I mean, I'm 48. I don't even think I'm halfway there. You'd never get there. But rather, Jesus sends them out with a message that they have heard over and over and over and over. Would you take seriously the call to be sent? Not because you're special in the kingdom, but because that's just what people in the kingdom do, is be with Jesus and be sent. And sent out, not with a flowery message that you could never articulate, but rather that you are sent out with the message you know. That drew you. That makes you love Jesus. 
And I don't know that our message has really changed that much since, since these men were sent. It says that they were sent with the message of the kingdom. Man, could I encourage you that when I hear Christians speak in the public square, I almost never hear, man, there's a better way to live. The kingdom of God is near to you. This is the message they were sent with. This is the message we're sent with too. It's not that some rule of society needs to change. It's not that some particular person needs to be in power. It's rather that the kingdom of God is near to you right now. Could you take that message? Of course you could. People need a way to live that works. People need a way to live that isn't an endless treadmill of work and failure and frustration until finally one day you get to die. People need to hear that there's another option, that you could live as citizens of King Jesus and, and live a life of hope. Is that not an attractive message? It's not a complicated message. Maybe practically for us, the lesson is that, that we're not called to answer every question. We're not called to, to relieve every doubt. We're not called to solve every problem. But we are called to tell the story that changed our lives, the story we know. But it wasn't the message alone, was it? Back to the spiritual gifts. They weren't just sent with a message. They were sent with the message of the kingdom of God and, what if we said it like this? They were sent with the message and practical help. They were sent with the message of the kingdom of God and to heal and cast out demons, which was a pretty needed, uh, you know, skill. It's never just the message alone. God never sends us out just to, you know, berate our neighbor in the name of Jesus. Rather, the message of the kingdom of God was delivered by Jesus, who had incarnationally given up the, the benefits of being God, the, the emptied himself so that he could draw near to us. Wouldn't he ask us to do the same for our neighbor? Healing is what he gave those men to authenticate the message that they were, they were taking. But healing was not the point. The message was. Are you with me? Not, I was trying to think, am I wrong about this? Not one person that Jesus ever healed avoided the grave. Everybody died. Healing is a limited gift. Even if we had that amazing gift, wouldn't that be great? I would love, I'd be at Chomp this afternoon. But that's a temporary fix. So Jesus sent this men, these men with this amazing but temporary fix to authenticate a message of eternal life. And this is what you and I do too. We go out using our gifts to make people's lives better, to practically help, to not only tell people what they should think, but also help people in their lives to authenticate an eternal message. Because while everybody that Jesus healed eventually died physically, no person who receives, receives the kingdom of God is ever the same again.
And the Bible is full of instruction for us in how we could authenticate the message of the kingdom of God. That you go not only with the call to tell this message, but the call to live this message out so people recognize it. Things like Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men so that they glorify your Father in heaven. What if you just took that seriously? Whatever you think that means. I don't even have to teach it. Just what would it mean for your light to shine? Philippians 4 talks about extending the the kingdom of God and says, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Isn't that a great authentication of the good news that we would be reasonable people? Man, why don't you, well, why don't you open up uh, your Bible, turn over to, to Romans 12 just for a minute. Um, and as you do, let me read 1 Peter 2.12 for you. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, the thing that I think might be part of our problem is that we would really love the gift of healing, but we don't really want the gift of reasonableness and honorable living. See, Jesus gave these men this gift and he's calling us to use our gift too and what he's going to give, allow us to do is be reasonable and honorable. Are you willing to be reasonable and honorable to authenticate your message? Where did I tell you to turn? Romans 12. So Romans 12, let's actually skip past the part about um, these gifts of grace, the... the um, spiritual gifts. And let's go to, what is it, verse 9? Because the spiritual gifts are unique to each person, right? My gifts are different than your gifts, and that's all great and wonderful. But look what is true of all of us, the marks of true Christians. By the way, while I read this list to you, would you just ask yourself, is any of this possible without the Holy Spirit? Do we not need the empowering of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifting in order to live like this? Watch this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. I could keep going, but I think you see the point. Paul says, look, some of you are going to have the gift of healing, and some of you are going to have the gift of wisdom, and some of you are going to have the gift of, of prophecy, but all of you, would you live in peace and honorable and identify with the lowly and care for people that need care and Don't like what is evil, but rather love what is good and sacrifice so that you might live in peace. Would that not authenticate the message of the kingdom of God like nothing else? If our world, like it'd be great if we all had sign gifts. It'd be great if we could all go to chomp and heal everybody right now. I would love it. God, if you want to give us that gift, I'm not being sarcastic. We would use it. You with me? And he could. If he wants to give us that gift right now, that's his business. 
But I worry that we want big gifts that are flashy and would make the news, but we're not so excited about blessing those who persecute us. But what if we lived in that Romans 12 kind of way and we went with this gift, uh, or with this message of there's a better way to live. You don't have to live in this rat race anymore. You can live in peace in the kingdom of God and then we could just go, I'll show you. This is how Christians just live. Honorable, peaceable, caring for the poor. The message is always the thing. Jesus died for the sins of the world. That is always the thing. But he has given us gifts so that we might authenticate that message in the eyes of the world. And the question, first of all, is do you even feel called? Do you even know that what it means to walk with Jesus is to be called by him? And second of all, what if God has given you the gift of blessing those who persecute you? Do you even want that gift? Fourth, these people's message included appropriate instructions. And we won't spend a lot of time with this, but I think it's, I think it's fun. Luke 9.3, he, he gives them, these are like the rules for their mission trip, right? He says, first of all, he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bread, uh, nor bag, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And we would go, is that what it's always like? No. There's people in... Caesar's household serving Jesus. Um, there's not an economic requirement. Poor, rich, in the middle, have the ability to be on mission for Jesus. But when you think about the life that these men um, are going to live, you understand that Jesus is both sending them and still training them at the same time. If the disciples are going to relearn to rely on God, they need to grow in confidence as they rely on God to see Him working. You think about what these men or their lives are going to look like after Pentecost. Their lives after Pentecost are going to be marked by two incredible things. Their lives are going to be marked by incredible suffering and incredible gifts. They are going to take this message to the end of the world and they're going to suffer greatly for it. And so here Jesus, the loving rabbi, the great discipler, sends them to experience a little bit of what they're going to experience after Pentecost. Hey, you guys are going to have to get good at sleeping on the ground. Don't take anything with you. You guys are going to have to get good at um, relying on me for your daily bread. You're going to have to just rely on God. So just go and don't take anything. And even as I, as I read this list, I go, these are all the things that you would tell somebody exactly to take. Be sure you have enough food. Be sure you bring an extra coat. Be sure you have enough money. And those are all the things that Jesus says, guys, I know what your future is going to look like. You need to get comfortable not having this stuff. Can you look back at your life and see how God trained you in that same way? Can you look back at seasons of your life and go, man, it was so hard then, but it prepared me for what I'm going through now. Can you look at your life right now and go, I don't know why God's asking this of me right now, but it could be that he's preparing me for something in the future. Jesus is a great discipler. We are always in a process of being sent and being trained. 
The second instruction in Luke 9, 4 says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So the, the, this, would, this is Jesus saying, here's how to handle it if the mission in a certain town goes well. If you go to a certain town and you are received by somebody in the town and they say, hey, you can stay with us. And then the mission goes well and people go, all right, we're in, let's follow Jesus. Well, then you might get a reputation and the richer person in town might go, hey, why actually, why don't you come stay at my house? And you might be tempted to go, yes, I think I will go stay at your house, Mr. Richer Man. And then the mayor of the town, the leader of the town might go, hey, forget about that. Why don't you come stay at my house? And you go, you might go, you know what? I am pretty important. I have this very important message. I think I'll go stay at the mayor's house. And Jesus says, stay where you are. It's not about you. If it goes well, the first house that lets you stay, just stay there. And then the next instruction is the exact opposite. In Luke 9, Five, uh, or yeah, in Luke 9, 5, it says this, and whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against it. So when it doesn't go well, don't start a riot. Don't go outside of town and plan another trip and get your argument straightened and come back in. And don't call down fire from heaven. Rather, leave the town, go, hey, just to be clear, Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. Shake the dirt off your feet. Be clear about who Jesus is and, and then go. So I think this is the instruction if I had to make it 2022 Seaside Instructions. When ministry's going well, stay humble. It's not about you. When ministry's going tough, stay humble. It's not about you. Lastly, we'll pick, up here, we'll pick up here more next week, but then there's the story of Herod. I love this. this is, there's, there's not a lot of narrative in Galilee for, uh, for this um, section about Herod and Herod going, I thought I already killed this guy. What's going on? But rather, this is kind of like, all right, I know this is dorky. You knew, you knew who, where you were going this morning. Um, this is kind of like the scene at the end of a Marvel movie. You, know, you ever watch a Marvel movie and then at the end there's like this little scene after the credits that, that tells you uh, about the next movie? That's what this is. Jesus is sending people out in Galilee and everything's going great up in Galilee and all of a sudden we get the hint that, this, that there's more coming. All of a sudden the message is going all the way to King Herod. Dun, dun, dun. And we'll talk about that more next week. But man, I just... Today, I just want to light a fire. Do you know that you're in ministry? Can we stop defining ministry as just people who either get paid for it or are good at it at church? And instead, could we say ministry is like breathing for the Christian? Being on mission is not something that someday God might call you to. If you're in love with Jesus, you're on mission. Are you trained? Are you being trained? Get trained. Are you courageous? Do you trust that as you go, God will give you the gifts you need? Are you willing for those gifts to not be great and grandiose, but ordinary and profound, like loving your neighbor, like living honorably, like being at peace, like being reasonable. Can you articulate your mission? It could be that some of you 
when I say, you need to get on mission. You just do. There's no such thing as being a Christian and not being in ministry. You need to get on mission. Jesus is sending you somewhere. Some of you go, oh, I know exactly what that, I know exactly what that is, what I've been, um, you know, ignoring. Some of you go, yeah, I'm on mission. Got it, dude. I'm in. See Jesus working in me all the time. But some of you might go, I have no idea where Jesus would send me. Would you start by profoundly deepening your relationship with him? Spend as much time with him as possible. Do you trust God for the spiritual gifts you're going to need? Do you know what training to seek out? Do you know where needs are that need to be filled? Our message is the same. The context is very different. Our message is the same. People need to know that there's a better way to live, to live with Jesus as their king. We call our church Lighthouse. I didn't name it, but I like it. Let's be one.